Hello, I'm Vernon Kay, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. As England gear up for the penultimate weekend of the Guinness Six Nations, this week we're shining the spotlight on one of the squad's northern powerhouses. My dad would work nine to five in the garage, and then, and then what was it like? Two hours training and two hours back, so it was a six-hour trip for him. Really, I think he got through Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I remember him sitting with his little DVD player while <laughs> I was, was coming back with training. And he wouldn't set off until the episode finished. Yeah. It's England flanker Mark Wilson. Obviously, there was times you know it's human nature to think, "Oh God, this is this isn't going to happen." But you've got to stick to your guns, and I was never just content. Wanted to keep pushing and trying to get the best out of myself, and that ambition was always was always there to reach the international level. As well as getting to know Mark a little bit better, we get the lowdown on Red Roses Marley Packer's life away from rugby. Also, I've got another guilty pleasure. I have a lot of socks, um, all sorts of socks as well. But yeah, it's something that I really need to sort out in my life. And I put England's Sam Underhill to the test in our special Guinness Six Nations quiz. So, let's get on, shall we? First up, we're heading to Pennyhill Park, where our main man in camp, Paul Bunker, caught up with Mark Wilson. Let's roll it back then. Born in 1989, tell us what you were like as a youngster. If we tin Mark Wilson when you were, say, four or five years old, what would it have been like? A bundle of energy, I think. I think my uh, my mum said that she struggled to entertain me. You know, I was I was really active. Like, you know, obviously when I started to get to kind of five, six, I was playing a lot of football and it's at that stage where you're out with your friends till you know nine o'clock at night you know playing football and playing on the streets and stuff so give us an idea I'm trying to think what toys you've been playing what sort of bike you would have been what on a BMX a mountain bike yeah, what would you yeah, been treading b- around yeah, on BMX yeah I was I, I was I was big on the BMX enjoyed that very much football yeah I had a mate that was about three doors down and he was like literally I was knocking on his door as soon as I was up and then we, we were coming back for a tea and then back out again <laughs> until, until it was dark so but that was very much uh, the, the order yeah. of what it was and what were you like as a footballer we, clearly we know what you like as a road player but tell us about your football team. did you have the skills <laughs> I like to think I did yeah 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 um, <laughs> Uh, I was club right. players, division. Right. Yeah, playing like yeah, club yeah. or division? No, 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 I played in the same club team with all like my mates and stuff, and it was the same team all the way up till about till we were about sixteen. Until obviously the rugby took over and stuff, but yeah, believe it or not, I, I used to actually be quite quick when I was younger. But as you can tell now, it's rapidly slowed down. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I started I off know. as a, like a right winger. Ended up coming into midfield, so that's pretty much. Right. And what were you like at school then? So we got kind of get an image of what you like as a young sportsman. What were you like at school? Uh, a bit of a goody two shoes, I think. <laughs> that's what I used to get. I used to get a bit of bit of grief for. I've been a bit of a teacher's pet and stuff, but you know, it was one of those where teachers would always pick me to use me as like, oh, you know, come like show show how it's done and things like that. And it was always one of those. But you know, my best friend, he was like the opposite. He was like the naughty kid, so it was quite a good balance. What were the sort of your sort of dreams and aspirations? Do you remember when you were like seven, eight, nine years old, when you sort of in your head you're thinking, "That's what I want to be. That's what I want to do." Do you remember what you, you wanted to be when you were that age? Uh, yeah, it was around the era of when uh, Michael Owen was at his kind of peak, and I, I always fancied myself as like uh, you know professional football and stuff, as most <laughs> boys at that age did. Like I said, it was very much down that down that route. I, I've lost my touch with football in terms of of watching Liverpool and stuff, but around that time I was I was football mad. You know, would watch them any time I could, and whenever I was out playing, I was always wanting to be Michael Owen, Steve McManaman, and the, the, those that kind of era, and then yeah. obviously Steven Gerrard when he came on the scene. Were you idolising anyone away from sport? Like in a, you know that sort of age, you got like WWF is kicking off music wise. There's a lot going on in the early nineties as well. Was there anyone else? Me and my went through a wrestling phase, which was you know when Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and The Rock were the kind of the, the two <laughs> the two giants at the time. Time. Yeah, that was like a slight little digression. And sport-wise, then, so clearly you've got a real 
appetite for sport as a young man. Is, is that something from your family? Is, have you got like your parents, brother, older brothers, sisters who are into that as well? My mum's really competitive. She's like the most quietest little woman you'll ever meet. She's real quiet, keeps herself to herself. But as soon as there's any kind of competition or even, you know, at Christmas when you're playing board games, she's got a feisty side to her when as soon as there's a bit of competition. So I, I, th- I think I kind of get that from her. Yeah. Uh, my dad played a bit of football and stuff when he was younger, but he was more uh, petrol-led and he's into rallying and oh, stuff. Really? But yeah. I think he's really disappointed because I've absolutely got no interest in cars. So, <laughs> but you, you seem, Mike, you seem really mellow. I mean, you know, the way you play rugby, very abrasive player, clearly. But in in your personality-wise, is there a flip side to Mike Wilson that we don't see maybe internally? That can you say maybe get from your mum that fire and stuff? Is there a little bit of that? Uh, no, I'd say I'm fairly chilled out off the oh, pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I like a laid back lifestyle. I'm, whenever I go back to my parents' house and what they're like, they like the kind of laid back, uh, you know, easily pleased lifestyle. And I've kind of grown up that way. What, what does it yeah. take to flick your switch? I get the odd bit of road rage now and again. That can right, that can okay, trigger yeah. a bit of. Uh, oh, where Amy's doing my head in, but you know, <laughs> <shuts>. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone gets that. So um, we need to talk about your sort of move into rugby then. Tell us about that because you were sort of what we class as sort of a late bloomer in some ways. Yeah, obviously, I was when I joined secondary school, I was Matt Keane, and my PE teacher Dean Barker got me into it, and he was really keen to like push me down that route. But I still obviously liked the football and stuff. Uh, I, I went on tour with my football team and broke my foot, and he, it's the first time he ever properly lost a pot with me because he was like, "What?" Because I think it was a it was like a Falcons tour with the academy in the summer. Mm. I couldn't go on it. So yeah, it was it was kind of mixed interest from there. But yeah, I, I didn't play any age group kind of stuff. You know, I, like I said, I was starting to develop slightly later, and eventually it was kind of when when things started to get serious was when I started to play first team at Kendall Rugby Club, where, you know, seniors. And at the time, I was kind of you know I was in the Falcons Academy, but I don't think I was in a serious place where they were thinking right, this guy's going to reach the top. I suppose they liked my attitude and, yeah. and liked to keep me around. So, but th- those couple of years there, that, that's when things started to really kick off and. You know, I'm a big believer that that kind of exposure to men's rugby early doors kind of got me into the way that I play, and you know, has developed the way that I play, and and, and hopefully that shows. I'm just thinking, my my geography is not great, but so you're living in Kendall, yeah. you're playing rugby in Newcastle across yeah. the Pennines. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I've got a lot of respect for your parents as well because you'd have yeah. been what 14, 15, 16. I mean, mm. talks about that. Your dad, mum, and dad driving you back and forth, back and forth in the car yeah, hour yeah. after. I mean, that's that's some serious miles there, isn't it? You know, it's. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did an interview a while back saying about how my dad had spent so many hours in the car, but my mum my always reminds me that she washes my kit when I got back. But yeah, no, it was some long, long trips. Um, obviously, going over to Newcastle was like a two-hour trip, and my dad would work night to five in the garage, and then, and it, what was it, like two hours training and two hours back, so it was a six-hour trip for him, wow. really. I think he got through, at the time, I think it was Max and Paddy. You remember Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I remember him sitting with his little DVD player while I was, <laughs> I was coming out of training. And he wouldn't set off until the episode finished. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, You must be very sort of clearly grateful. I mean, the payoff for your dad clearly now is to see his son running out at Twickenham mm-hmm. and playing for England, which is like you know every dad's dream. But for him now, you must look back and be very grateful for him. Uh, yeah, like certainly now, obviously when I'm more grown up and stuff, I, I, I appreciate it. You know, back then I was a moody teenager, so I think at times, <laughs> I think at times he was doing his ending, but nah, you know, without him, I wouldn't be sat here now. You know, the commitment that he made for that is is, is massive and something that I'll forever be in his debt for. Yeah, uh, talk about the combination of, of university then and rugby as well. So you're kind of at Newcastle, you sort of flourish in there, all kind of getting excited. This guy, Mark Wilson, could be something special. Uh, you decided to follow a course of study as well. Tell us, did you see that through? What were you studying? If, if I'm honest, it was kind of... It was kind of a means to an end. If I'm if I'm totally honest, it was it was a way of getting up to Newcastle and being able to live there. And uh, you know, if I got a degree out of it at the end, then it would have been 
happy days, but you know, my sole aim was that I wanted to put all my eggs in the rugby basket and be under the academy's mm. eyes, and it's something that paid off. You know, it was it was a time when the junior rugby was you know level; it was decent, and uh, it was slightly different to the men's rugby. Very skillful, and and you know, it was a big stage in my development. And I was always under the club's eyes, which was good on on my mm. behalf and their behalf. Hi, this is Ben Moon, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. More from Mark shortly, but now time to get the inside line and what England flanker Marley Packer likes to get up to away from the field. Marley, we are all ears. To relax, I just like to sit down and watch trashy TV, really, and the soaps. I'm quite bad for that. If I'm in, I'm always there on record. I'm quite a these Dundas fan. Currently, Carnation Street is well up there. Sometimes I'm a <laughs> No, I'm not a Hollyoaks fan, mind. My apps, I still, I'm really into Twitter and also Instagram, but I've got this new thing, you know, like those stupid games that come up as ads on the Instagram, so then I go download them and I play them for a couple of days and then they get deleted. I would say I'm more of an early riser than a night owl, but there's on like different scales, like from a night owl to about like midnight. I like a bit of Westlife music-wise, but I definitely like... (laughs) So if I'm listening to the radio, because I do quite a lot of driving, I'm a smooth or a heart listener. I think my favourite meal, I like a good steak and chips with, with a side salad and then also some garlic bread. That's also a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine as food. Also, I've got another guilty pleasure. I have a lot of socks. Um, All sorts of socks as well, but, yeah, it's something that I really need to sort out in my life. But white ones, I've got black ones, but I'm not keen on other coloured socks par white. And then I've got the ones that, like, come up to your calf, then ankle socks, then, like, socks that you wear with, like, your boat shoes. Like, when I go sock shopping, uh, I look for the material, so I like it to be soft, um, but, like, not fluffy soft. You can't have, like... So, you know, like, Christmas socks that, like, your your parents put in your stockings? Like, no, they're a big no-no. Or, like, that thick. I don't like thick. It's got to be, like, a good... A good measurement of material um, and then I hate it when you buy cheap like boat shoe socks and they roll down your feet there's nothing worse than that I hate it when socks go like that off colour so when I, me and Poppy Cleo were living together I always knew when she was wearing my socks and when she was wearing her own socks because hers are like a off white grey colour and mine are pure white bit of vanish Well, you can't say we don't bring you exclusive insights here on the England Rugby Pod, can you? You can still get tickets to watch the Red Roses Six Nations clash with Italy women down in Exeter this Saturday. Just head to englandrugby.com forward slash tickets. They're on for a record ticketed crowd at Sandy Park, so it's sure to be an absolutely awesome atmosphere. Now though, let's get back to Paul's chat with Mr Mark Wilson. 2009, you're playing England students, is that right, as well? So, kind of around that time, you know, you've got uh, Martin Johnson, Stuart Lancaster shortly after. So were you on their radar? Were you on the sort of... Because you haven't got the traditional pathway, which a lot of England players have now, but were you kind of in and around there? Um, no, not at all, I don't think. You know, I don't think it was till a couple of seasons ago till I really thought that I was really in contention with, you know, getting selection. So, like I said, I, was, I, was, I started off uh, fairly slow and... You know, I was very grateful for the opportunities I got at Newcastle for early doors. You know, when I turned 20, I ended up playing quite a lot in that first season. So that's really when things started to kick off. And obviously, over the last couple of years, it's been a lot more, you know, involvements in and around the in, in and around the camp. In 2015, you got a, you played for England, didn't you, against the Barbarians as well? So that would have been under Stewart still, right? Is that right as well? Did, yeah. How do, how were you feeling about that? Did you feel that you're kind of 
on your way with England because it's a World Cup year as well. So clearly, there's they need a lot of resource. I think is the yeah. kindest way to say. It. You know, I wasn't daft. They had a lot of players that they were they'd already put aside for the World Cup and stuff. But at the same time, you know, it gave me a taste and gave me that real feel of actually I'm not too far away from. You know, you, you grow up thinking that you know England's miles away as a professional rugby player. You think oh England's miles away, but. You know, it was just that slow, slow progression. And once I got a little taste of, uh, you know, in that Barbarians game and spending the week with, you know, in and around the camp, it, it just gave me that fuel to to want to go mm. and progress more. A lot of people, rugby fans, journalists, are, you know, jumping up and down. Mark Wilson, this amazing guy, like as of you know, 2018 was a huge year for you. What what has been the change? Were you always playing this style of rugby, but maybe weren't quite on the radar, or would you say that your rugby's maybe changed in the last? year to 18 months and maybe I mean I don't know maybe your fitness has stepped up maybe the way you play maybe more experience but something clearly has changed because you weren't in the fold in the mix and now you definitely are what would you say sort of changed I don't I don't think a massive amount has changed I think that uh, I think that I've I've kept learning I've kept trying to uh, continue doing the things that I do well and you know, it was, it was a great year for Newcastle last year. You know, we came top four, and you know, as, as players, we're all starting to get to that stage where we're all developing together and, and getting the best out of each other. It was a competitive environment, especially in the back row. So, you know, you go into games week in, week out, and not only you're thinking, right, I've got to play well, but you got to think, you know, I was thinking, I've got to play well because we've got likes like Callum Chick, who's coming through, uh, Gary Graham, who's came on the scene, uh, Will Welsh, our captain, guys like that, who, you know, there's a real good competition, healthy competition. So you've got to play well. Mm. And, uh, you know, lucky enough, that gave us uh, the kind of step forward into that. Yeah, 2018, to our club, there being a huge year. But, I mean, then for you in the autumn... Yeah. I mean, I've got the numbers down here, but tell us how that was for you. Man of the match against South Africa. You were, if you're honest, fourth choice number eight, weren't you, going into that sort of tournament but through injury and opportunity and your hard work you've got there as well. Man of the match against South Africa, player of the series as well. I mean, talk us through what that was like for Mark Wilson. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. I've not really had a chance to reflect about it, to be honest, because obviously we're, we're straight back into this and, you know, I had eyes on, you know, I really wanted to be involved in this camp for, for the Six Nations, but it was amazing to to get that feeling of being in the camp with the, with, with the lads and the more I get involved, the more I feel that I'm part of part of the, the set-up here and, you know, there were great games to play in and, mm. uh, you know, we've come far as a squad and, you know, to be part of that is, is excellent and, and hopefully, uh, you know, I can... I have more times like that. You touched on it back from 2015 to look from the outside in, but for you, during the time you've been in the camp now, and you're establishing yourself as a regular England player, off the back of that autumn series, did you go back to your club and think, oh, I'm feeling, I'm stronger, I'm playing with a you know better scanning? Had you improved? I certainly think it gives you a lot more confidence, um, but at the same time, you're playing with guys who are you know have got 50, 60, 70 caps under the belt and. Uh, you come into this environment and you learn a lot and mm. you know I've certainly learned a lot and how to play and how to approach things uh, not just on the field but you know mentally as well and yeah you, you know it's it's and it's it's that thing where you you've got to get the best out of you and you know you come here and you've got to do your role and be the best version of you and that that's what the beauty was I, that, it was nice and clear the coaches just wanted me to go out and play like uh, I do for Newcastle week in week out and it wasn't any rocket science or had to pull anything out of the bag so yeah Fitness wise, I think it was a moment against France when it was a 78th minute and Dan Robson had hacked it down the field. And we looked on the screen, and everyone is blowing clearly because it's the 78th minute of the game. But I look up and I can see number six still charging down the pitch. How hard do you work on your fitness, and how much do you pride yourself on being a back row player who's just got a massive engine on him, monster engine? <laughs> no, no, obviously, as a back row, you've got to be one of the fittest guys on the field. Um, you know, it's something I've always prided myself in throughout my career is 
as a six, you've got to be, you've got to cover a lot of ground, and you know it's it's part of the the way that I play and I enjoy playing. I like being involved as much as possible, and you've got to be fit for that because otherwise you're you know you're going to blow up after 40, 50 minutes and, and not be effective. So yeah, no, I, I pride I pride performance on being one of the fittest guys on the pitch, and and hopefully I can keep getting fitter. Is there a competitive environment within the squad for that as well? Because clearly, obviously, there's lots of testing that is going on all the time. Are you clearly competing against yourself? But are you looking at other guys around you? Because back row is always a very competitive position, isn't it? Everyone wants a piece of that. It's it's Hollywood, really. You know, best of both worlds. But are you constantly looking around, thinking he's doing that? He's in. I need to up my game. Um, I think it's more like you said about competing with yourself and getting the best out of you. Uh, you know, people have different strengths, and especially within the gym or fitness environment, you've got guys who are stronger at this and better than that. But as long as you're focusing on getting the better version of you out of there, that's that's the that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest competition and probably the biggest battle that I face anyway. But you know, at the same time, it is great to have guys around you pushing you, and you know that's the beauty of this environment. Just think about so you, realistically, when you actually probably came into the fold was last year, so you would have been 28 last year. Yeah, uh, yeah when you really started with England, what, what does that say about you and your belief as well as as a player? Because clearly, like all of us, amateur, professional, you want to play for England. But a lot of people would have turned their back on that, wouldn't they? Maybe when they got to 25, 26, maybe that's not going to happen for me. But what do you think this is about you and your belief and your desire, I suppose, to actually still get out there and impress Eddie and, and play for England? Yeah, I mean, careers go quick, don't they? So, to be honest, I didn't even realise that it got to stage I was 28 and I still thought I was still young. So, no, it's always been an ambition to play for England and, and it was one of those where I just, if, like, I always got told that, you know, you've got to put 100% in, you know, each time you take to the field, whether it's training, or, or games and that's what I've tried to do over the last few years Was it a problem for you? Were you thinking like you know sort of throw your toys out of the pram this is not going to happen or were you just kind of content playing for club and just thinking if it happens it happens? No obviously there was times when I would you know it's human nature to think oh god this, is, this isn't going to happen but you know like you said you've got to stick you've got to stick to your guns and I, I was never just content with just just playing club rugby and just being you know happily just you know playing on a weekend and, and going home and coming in mm. the next week. I, you know I wanted wanted to keep pushing and trying to get the best out of myself and that ambition was always uh, was always there to reach the international level. Do you, do you remember when you got the phone call from Eddie or was it something? Can you remember that moment? Because for every player, there's a moment when the phone rings or you get an email or you've heard of somebody who got a message on Facebook, which is a bit weird. <laughs> but you get a message from the management that are like, yeah. "Look, Mark, we'd like you to come into camp." Do you remember when? When that was and how you felt? Yeah, so I I was on a stag do actually, um, <laughs> which isn't great, is it? Um, obviously, I, I was totally unaware. It was the end of the season. We'd played against Bristol in the, the end of the season, and uh, you know we'd been away, and uh, you know I had a good couple of days, and I got back to got back to England. And as soon as I'd landed, there was a message off off Charlotte Gibbons saying mm. the coaches want you in in camp on Tuesday down in Brighton. So it's one of those where obviously been off for a week. You know, you get to the end of the season, you have all your dinners and your uh, things. I'd been away for a couple of days so it was kind of like right <laughs> get us out to the gym straight away and uh, blow off the cobwebs really but it was probably the best thing that could have happened because I was um, you know after a long season and stuff you you know it's, it's rugby heavy and, mm. and I'd, I'd had that week away and I'd gone in and I was fresh and I was hungry and the Argentina tour was fantastic and really kick-started my kind of belief in getting into international honours. Hi, I'm Sarah Byrne and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, TuneIn, Deezer and Google Play. (laughs) 
All right, we're backstage at the Autry Blue Room with Sam Underhill. I'm going to ask you a little quiz, Sam. It's dead easy. It's called 666. It's not the devil's work. It's six questions about the Six Nations in 60 seconds. All right, good luck. Question one. True or false, the competition originally known as the Four Nations Championship is older than the FIFA World Cup. Uh, false, I'm going to go with it's true. Not a good start. Right, the inaugural yeah. event was in 1883. The first World Cup was held in 1930. Question two. How many bottles of champagne, approximately, can you fit in the Six Nations trophy? Two, five, or twelve? Oh, it's got to be bigger than two. I'm going to go five. Five is the right answer. The inside of the trophy was gold-plated to protect it from champagne-induced corrosion. <laughs> I like that. Uh, question three. England's top Six Nations point scorer is Johnny Wilkinson uh, with 486 points. But who exceeded his record in the championship? Is it D, Stephen Jones, E, Ronan O'Gara, or F, Dimitri Yakvili? Uh, that's got to be O'Gara, is it? It is. Well yeah. done. 557 points. Epic. Great player, right? Very good player. Yeah. True or false? England holds the record for the most tries scored in a single tournament. True. It is true. Yes. Uh, Bonus point question. How many? Oh, God. In the whole tournament? Yeah, in the whole Uh, tournament. 21. It's 29. Wow. In 2001. That's a pretty epic uh, tournament on England's part. That's pretty special. Okay. This year, the combined weight of the Scottish squad is the equivalent of 466 Scottish Terriers. Does that make them the heaviest team in the championship? What's a Scottish Terrier? How big is a Scottish Terrier? What are you looking at? Well, it's kind of... A little yappy thing. Yeah, yep. quite a small dog. We're not looking at a Labrador. One of those that uh, I... Well, actually, I'm surprised we don't have one because we have a Chihuahua and a Maltese Shih Tzu. So I'm surprised we don't Done have well a Scottish... I know. Good guard dogs, yeah. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Sam, can you imagine yourself walking down the high street with two of those little <laughs> yappy Max Leaf's got two Chihuahuas, big lad at Bath. Really? Yeah, mate, he's enormous. Looks absurd walking them. It's brilliant. Yeah, well, One of the yeah. best things you'll see in well, you I feel. Uh, does that make them the heaviest team in the championship? Uh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four thousand two hundred kilograms. Wow, that's a lot of tin. That's, that's a lot of uh, yeah. I'm gonna go down to weights because you know people like gym stuff. When you're in the squat rack, what do you squat? What's your PB? I don't think I could tell you. I haven't done it in ages. I had an ankle injury. And, that is and, so and, depressing. And, um, yeah, I know. Really sorry. I'd like that is so depressing. One of the world's finest athletes. Doesn't even jump in the squat, right? <laughs> like Anthony Watson's up there doing more. I know, than, that's uh, what I think. Yeah, and, and he's like a pigeon. It's 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 mad. Revelations galore here on the England Rugby Pod. More now from Paul Bunker's sit down with Mark Wilson. We've got a few questions away from rugby then as well. So we've got a really clear image now of Mark Wilson. Nice bloke, works really hard, he's achieving his dreams and goals. But what are you like away from rugby, Mark? Tell us about what you do to unwind and get away from it all. I've got um, a daughter who's four, Ella, and, and my son's 18 months. You know, since they've both come along, it's probably, I've, got, I've had a much better balance to, to life because obviously I'll come home and see their smiling faces or not smiling faces and... You know, I see Amy. <laughs> it's the same with Amy, my wife. Uh, but since they've come along, my, my family's everything to me, and you know, being able to do stuff with them and completely takes my mind off rugby. So then it means I'm I'm fresh for when I go back in. Before we had the kids and stuff, you know, I find it quite tough because I was 
bringing rugby home. It was like rugby all the time, and you know, it probably reflects in the way that my career's gone as well. And you know, I wasn't really progressing. Whereas, as soon as my kids seemed to come along, it had a nice progression. So, we're easily pleased that the four of us, we mm. you know, we like going out on little day trips with the kids, and you know, we live right on the Tyne, so we're often going out on the bikes and you know, taking them for walks down there, and you know, frequenting coffee shops and stuff yeah. as well. How understanding is your wife then? Because the truth is, for people who don't know, when you've got two young kids, life's consumed, isn't it? I mean. They're everything, they're everywhere all the time. Is your wife understanding when you walk in the door or she kind of hand them over and think, well, you just played a test match against the All Blacks, but I've had an 18-month-old and a four-year-old to deal with. What's that like? She's very understanding most of the time, yeah. I think it was after uh, the South Africa game. When you got man of the match, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. My son hadn't been too well, and I think he was teething at the time. He'd started kicking off in the night, like crying big style. It was just like three in the morning. Amy just rolled over to me and went, your turn. I was just like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, You've had so, Dwayne yeah, Vermeulen yeah, yeah, yeah. breathing down your yeah, neck yeah, and throwing yeah. you around for eighty minutes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go and sort them out. But no, look, it's, she does a great job for yeah. when, when I'm away, and yeah. it's quite a grueling experience. Don't yeah. deal with two kids the whole time, but uh, at the same time, she she loves it as well. And you know, coming away to camp, knowing that she's at home looking after them, is like so easy for me. I can just focus on the rugby, and it's and it's all good. You, you seem, as you said, a very quite relaxed guy. The physical part of rugby, as we know, is very, very intense. And also mentally as well, a lot of people don't see how hard you work away off the pitch, getting everything right, getting the strategy right, getting your calls right, all of those sort of things as well. Is there anything you do for yourself to actually bring yourself back down? I know seeing your family, but maybe when you're here at the training centre as well, that you actually kind of have to block out, calm down and bring yourself. Because if you don't watch out, you can be doing rugby 24-7 and clearly mentally that's not, that's not healthy, is it? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's tough. And it, it is something I actually still struggle with, uh, especially after games. And, um, you know, you're thinking, all oh, right, you know, what was that? What was that? that was good, that was bad. And there's a lot of thoughts going through your head and the adrenaline's still pumping, isn't it? And, you know, that's something that, that I do struggle with. But again, I go back to the kids, like, don't really have time to think about it. But yeah, just trying to take your mind off it as much as I can, like, um, taking interest in other sports as well, you know, checking up on the football scores, etc., et mm. things like that, just getting as, getting as much, other than rugby, you know, going through your mind. In the run-up to the World Cup, England playing Italy up in Newcastle. Mark, clearly, Newcastle was a huge part of the, the black and white stripes in your heart as well. For those people who, who've never been in St James's Park and maybe have never experienced that sort of atmosphere of England, rugby, Newcastle combined, what, what do you think they can expect when that happens later in the year? Uh, well, I think, obviously, you've got a load of mad Geordies up there. They all like a good atmosphere and... You know, St James Park is always pumping for whatever. You know, I know the Magic Weekends up there, the rugby league stuff's always, always a great atmosphere. And when we played there last year for Newcastle mm-hmm. against Northampton, it was, it was a bit of a party atmosphere. And uh, you know, I even remember back to the World Cup when the, there was a fan zone there in, in, in the middle of the city there, and it was uh, absolute heaving all the time. So, you know, the friendly people. You know, that's that's the beauty of it. You go there and. You know, everyone thinks you're the best mate straight away, and um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that's that's the beauty of it. I've got two more questions. Have you still got that love and passion for the game that you had as as a young teen, spotty teen, going over the penalties <laughs> with your dad? <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd probably say even more now. Yeah, I think that you know rugby was fairly new to me um, when I was younger and didn't have a clue about it. Not that I have much more of a clue right now, but um, you know, getting a taste of what these last few months has been, the last couple of years, you know, it gets me even more excited and yeah, certainly certainly love it love it even more now. And this year then, how excited are you? Clearly England are moving towards you know, a good place. We're not going to get carried away, but they're playing some good rugby and collectively there seems to be a real unity with it. But you know, for you to be part of this, is this the dream come true? Yeah, it's massively exciting. I think that the the, the group that we've got on the like 
like you said, the togetherness that, that we've shown over these last few weeks and in the autumn is certainly growing. And it's an environment that's fun to come into. You you get challenged and put it in a good way, and it's, and it's it's exciting. And you know, always come into it really looking forward to to the challenge ahead. And you know, this year is going to be massive. And pretty sure there's what 33 other lads up there that are just as excited as I am and and, and want to be in the mix. This is our quick fire question round, Mark. So this is ten questions, nice and quick. So okay. see how you get on with these. Here we go. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Football. Really? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> or for Liverpool? <laughs> Probably be more like a lower league side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you could only hear one music track ever again, what would it be and why? Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll probably best say that because it's, it's our wedding song. So uh, just getting brownie points in there. She's watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? What really annoys you? And is there anyone in the squad who's guilty of that? So it could be someone tapping their foot. Mm. It could be someone leaving a mess. So what's your big peeve? Bad drivers is, is, is my worst one. Like, incompetent drivers is gets me raging. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Especially when you've got your kids in the car as well. Have you? Yeah, it, it yeah, just yeah. gets ratcheted up, doesn't it? Yeah, just just slow, slow and incompetent drivers. Mm. Yeah. Do you think you are a good driver? Absolutely. Or? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would play you in a movie? Oh God! <laughs> oh, it's got to be someone with a big jawline, hasn't it? <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> if you could have any three people, dead or alive, over for dinner, who would it be and why? Right, okay. Um, Paul Merson, just because he's got... I've read his book and he's got plenty of stories about yeah. and stuff, so he'd, he'd be quite entertaining, I'd imagine. So I'll go Gazza as well. Gazza as well. Get Ivy Cavalli, yeah, yeah, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, Gazza yeah. and Merson Gazza together, and are you Merson sure? Together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deary yeah. me. I think Hang so, on. yeah. I'd just sit back and just let the fireworks <laughs> go. Um, I suppose Tony Adams was a... Oh, oh blimey. Good, yeah, yeah. Just, Deary just, me, mate. <laughs> nothing left. <laughs> that sounds like a party we all want to go to. What always cheers you up and why? Um, the kids. Yeah. yeah, just always, because um, whatever mood you're in, they seem to be neutral to it and, and cheer you up straight away. Yeah. Uh, which famous person would have you completely starstruck if you ever met them in real life? Steven Gerrard. He's a Liverpool icon, isn't yeah, he? So, he, he yeah, is, he is a legend as well. Um, tell us a random fact about Mark Wilson that nobody knows. I used to be a county triple jumper. Wow. Yeah, not very good. Well, I mean, it's Cumbria, isn't it? So, <laughs> so that's the hop, skip and jump, right? Yeah, Do you yeah. Do you remember yeah. what sort of distances you're doing? Um... Right? Not very far. I think it was, it was when I was younger, younger as well. So like kind of thirteen, fourteen. I was doing about twelve meters. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, That's really it's good. all right. What advice would you give to a twelve-year-old Mark Wilson if you could speak to him now? Stick in, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. What a guy. Cheers, Mark. And big thanks to Marley Packer and Sam Underhill. We've got loads more exclusive interviews with England's guys and girls in next week's episode. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for joining us on the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. We will catch you next week.